0: Hello and welcome to Malden 02148. I'm your guest host this evening, Ed Lucy, and my guest is Chief Glenn Cronin of the Malden Police Department. For those people who aren't current on what's going on with the Malden Police Department,
1: how long you been chief? I've been chief since July 1st, so my seat's not even warm yet. Well, but you yes. had been acting chief before that? Uh, no, no, I was uh, that day from uh, July 1st. Oh, that was, was like, the, like uh, the new business year? Was, yep, was, yep. Yeah. As soon as uh, Chief Mollis, you know, we turned 65 right. by the end of the oh, month. Oh, that's
0: right. He was in the June. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. Um, ju- just a kind of a background, uh, you, um, you apply for a position with the police department. And uh, I, I think sometimes people don't realize how difficult sometimes it is to get an appointment. Because, and it's true also with the fire department because, number one, you have to take an exam. Yes. You have to qualify based on your mark in the exam. And then at that point, when the list is published, when the openings become available— then you uh, often you're you're competing to some degree
1: with other people that are on the list. Yeah, absolutely, you yeah. know it's it's quite a process, you know. And I really, of course, the first time I had taken the civil service test, I wasn't familiar with it. I wasn't aware of the rules, you know, the policies, you know, that civil service had in place. But it is highly competitive. Um, I know when I got, you know, I had taken the test. I waited. I got my score. I did you know, reasonably well. Good enough to get on, obviously, right. um, but you know it's competitive. Um, you've also got a, you know, there are other people on the list in certain categories. You know, veterans, disabled veterans, uh, sons and daughters of Oof. of officers that were either killed in the Kill line of line duty. Killed in the line of duty, right? Um, so this, those, that they supersede civilians on the list, and that's still true today. So it is competitive, and um, I was I was lucky enough. Um, to get on all, the Malden Police Department. Yeah, yeah.
0: The other thing, that, that, that then, is a, to further compound that issue is that, that you're on the list and you're working your way to the near the top to get. And first of all, you have to have vacancies in order to even get appointed. So you could, if people don't retire or leave for whatever reason, and there's no openings, then you, the list eventually runs out. Absolutely. But even even when you're near that, there's there's a choice at the top. You can pick one of three. Right. So exactly all of. Right. You know, it's uh, when you get near the point of uh, even being considered uh, for vacancy, it, it's possible that uh, the, sc- the scores are so close, and even if you were the first one at the top, it might not mean that you get the uh, appointment. It could be for different reasons. They pick someone with maybe a, a college degree or with some background, or maybe whose father had been a bit problem before <laughs> yeah. the son applied. <laughs> yeah. But so. When you you know you have a career in in engineering or if uh, medical or in field in some way you have lots of options. But I've, I often thought even when I was in office myself how difficult it is sometimes and how emotional stressful it is that you can get to a point where your whole, your old planned future depends on getting that appointment and you have everything in your favor and then there's no vacancies or. You you you're right near the top, but they, they, someone else gets picked, and the list runs out. So then you have to take a new test to even qualify all over again. Exactly,
1: you know, and that that's a you know a big part of it. You you, you a lot of it luck has to do with it. You know, you can take the test, you can take the test once, you can take it twice, but like you said, uh, Mayor Lucy, if there are no openings, you're just going to have to yeah. wait and yeah. keep taking these tests. But at the same time. You know, I think, at least from, you know, what I did, I never let the grass grow. And I I had pursued other avenues in case I never got the call. Um, You know, a lot of people say to themselves, I just want to be a police officer, and that's all I want to be, Um, and and I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket and wait and wait and wait, and sometimes the problem with that is it never happens. Uh, There are no openings, or for whatever reason, you know, that doesn't happen. Um, You know, and then that, if you're lucky enough to get the call, go through the interview process, you know, the oral review boards, um, and you get through that whole process, and you get on the job, um, and you go through your field training um, and all that, then it starts to become even more competitive. You know, most police officers are Class A personalities, um, and they get on, it's competitive. Now they want to be a sergeant. Now they want to supervise. So that becomes a whole new process. Um, And if you really want to be the first person to come across that finish line to get that promotion Uh, it's a monumental effort if you really want to make sure you're number one. So you've got to spend an uh, an awful lot of time. It's like studying for the bar exam. Um, And, again, just like the entrance exam, you may not get promoted. There may not be any openings, but you've got to do this and make sure you're ready if and when an opening does happen. So, you know, and then, of course, there are so many different ranks. Uh, We're, you know, considered like, you know, law enforcement agencies are, at least in the United States, are, considered taller organizations where we have a hierarchy of you know patrol officer sergeant you know lieutenant a captain a chief um, you know and there are other departments that have other different ranks as far as corporal and things like that so it's a competitive process um, and you know and for each one of those ranks you've got to study different books um, you know they're appropriate to that rank and but it does take if you really want to get to the top you've got to put the the time in and it's a that's what it's really about putting that time and effort mm-hmm. in to yeah. make sure you get it.
0: And there are sometimes horror stories, maybe not quite horror stories, but people have stories where, uh, whether it's the police department or the fire department, uh, you might be the senior, the senior captain or the senior deputy, and uh, for whatever reason, the uh, the chief is eligible to retire. You have to retire at sixty five. Yes, that's the maximum age, but. Sometimes people, even when they're eligible for the maximum pension for the, their own reasons, they enjoy the job so much that they, uh, they don't re- don't retire. So the person that's behind them is saying, well, someday with my obituary, I'll be, I'll be number one. Well, it <laughs> doesn't happen because uh, true, true. The list runs out or someone gets a... a uh, a higher marker gets appointed, and all of a sudden, you know, it says, I could have been me two years ago, but not today.
1: True, and, then when you, and you know, you mentioned you say chief, you know, and when the chief, if the chief leaves, now you've got that, that domino effect where you are you're affecting every rank now. Yes, that's true. So, if, you know, if a chief stays, you know, that affects, you know, you know other ranks. So, well, yeah, probably. there is a, uh, a, a, a domino effect here.
0: Well, and and uh, again, again, in in your case, like uh, most people today, uh, at least the years gone by, you were a local resident to start with. That's one of the that was one of the requirements. You either, when you take the exam, you have to live in the community Yeah, for at but least
1: a year. A year, beforehand. and then I think now you can.
0: We could take three different lists of, of, of communities you'll consider employment if they hire you. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. civil service rules have changed a, a bit, you know, and when you take the civil service test, you kind of go on a, a bunch of different lists. You go on the list for the MBTA, you know, municipalities. Um, you know, and I, I think even at this point, I think these lists, when, the, when candidates take tests, I think even the state police test might be part of that now. Um, I'm not positive, but that's right. what I heard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it does, and I know, and I, I believe that you have the option, if you have that hometown preference, you have to have lived in that town for at least a year prior yeah. to taking the test. If you haven't, say you, you were from Malden and you moved to Wilmington, and then you take the test, you know, two or three months, you know, as soon as you move to Wilmington, um, you don't get that hometown preference. So as a result of that, you go way back on any list, and I think they put you on five cities or towns yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, this, in yeah. that area yeah. that you yeah. pick.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you came on the department, you've been on about twenty-five years. Uh, Twenty-nine years. Twenty-nine. Okay. Um, how many w- was the total uh, department at the time? Do you recall?
1: Um, I I would say we're probably right in the same ballpark. Oh, you are. Uh, there were, you know, before I got on, and just before I got on, there were more patrol officers.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I I'm, I'm there were I believe from what I was told there were upwards of. 90-plus patrol officers. That number has been reduced over the years. Um, obviously, you know, way back um, way back in the day, um, you know, they had walking routes. Um, the, the call box, they were not yeah, g- you g- Gone, yeah. Uh, they were gone uh, long before I got on. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, I, I do I'm believe. I'm dating I, myself, by the I, way. <laughs> I do for believe. For people that don't know what that means <laughs> is that uh, patrolmen,
0: it, they had a beat assigned to their uh, to their scheduled time to be working, and they, uh, certain distances spaced apart, they had to ring into the station.
1: Absolutely, you know, and I've I've heard stories from older officers uh, about you know certain sergeants that would, you know, want to make sure that that officer was walking around on their beat, even if it was twenty degrees out, they wanted them walking in that area. So there was one I won't mention his name, but there was one particular sergeant. Uh, who was a stickler about this, but he'd pull up on him, call him to meet him somewhere, pull up on him, um, and then run out and feel the badge to see if it was cold, make sure that he was out in the cold. And that's how he could tell if they weren't inside a building or inside a store because he wanted them out in the weather.
0: It must have been be- That must have
1: been before they had unions. Yeah, I think <laughs> it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. if that was happening now, I could see a grievance being filed for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, the
0: um the type of cr- things that happen in the police department today uh, have got to be different than they were when you first joined the f- department number mm-hmm. one is um like a lot of things the only constant in life is change and uh, and at that time even though the city was changing somewhat uh, as uh, when you came on the department yes. um we thought of Malden as Irish, Italian, and Jewish, right, and right. obviously that we would become extremely diversified over the years. But even at that time, it was becoming more diversified yes, than it had yes. been. Yes. And um, in the type of incidents that the policemen were involved in, I think, uh, were in some ways more difficult because sometimes there'd be now there'd be language barriers that you're dealing with.
1: Absolutely, you know that that's become common. You know, um, and and to follow on what you said, you know, and it's the the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, in, but our diversity uh, is—we're is, the most diversity in the state now, and I know there's over 72 languages spoken at the high school. That's and I, amazing. And we yeah. consider that—you know, at the police department, I know Mayor Christensen's office consider that our strength now. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I strongly believe that. Uh, but with that, you know, uh, language barriers are, are a problem that we're dealing with, and I think we're doing very well dealing with it. Um, part of that is making the police force more diversified so that we have officers that represent the different cultures and ethnicities that that live in Malden. Uh, And I think over the past 10 years, we've done a a stellar job uh, at that. Um, You know, when you look at the the police officers that we have on the job now and and civilians that work on the station, we're almost 60% minority hiring in that regard, and that's helped us um, tremendously, particularly when it comes to language barriers. And it also develops a level of trust with the community um, you know, when you have a you know uh, a resident who's a new arrival from Haiti, say, uh, we have multiple officers that are from Haiti, uh, they can speak the language. They have a, an instant bond with people uh, right off the bat. We've got um, you know Brazilian officers.
0: Mandarin offices. would be one I would.
1: Absolutely, yeah. you know, we've got you know uh, we've got a, a, a very good amount of, of uh, Asian officers on the job that can you know speak Mandarin, uh, Cantonese. Um, You know, and if there is a language that we we come upon and we don't have an officer that can speak it, and and by the way, we have somebody on on almost every shift that can handle the language issues during the day. Yeah, we can ask you that. Yeah, which kind of gives you an idea of how many officers we have uh, out there that can speak these different languages. Uh, But we also have, um, you know, we we pay for a language uh, translation service that we can use on scene uh, with the advent of these um, cellular phones. Um, we use the language line constantly, it's been a, uh, uh, it's it's been outstanding for us as far as you know when we when we're dealing with people, what things that they're saying can become record uh, for a police report that that eventually may go to court. We can get transcripts from the translator from the conversations, what was said, who said it, um, so that helps as well because we just we we try not to use say say a family member because things can get messy when you go to court. Yeah, you know, you know, they could favor some, you know, one or not the other. So, having these language translation here, um, you know, a number that we call for this, um, there is no language on the planet that they don't have ready to go uh, at a moment's notice for us. So, that's that's helped us out tremendously. But most of all, um, it's the diversity that we have. We mirror the community as far as the diversity in the police department.
0: So it would certainly worked better for the Marlon Police Department than it has to for ninety ninety day brides that are on that TV so. Absolutely, yes, yeah,
1: one hundred percent. No, yeah. that yeah, they find it very difficult, you know, and it, you know, and that's quite a decision. You've got to make that decision to get married within ninety days, and you really don't know each other. You've never really lived with each other, and I only know this because my wife uh, is a fan of the show and she watches. there's a lot of other people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The other thing that
0: you kind of contend with, I think, uh, now, too, is uh, some people from different cultures that come here um, don't have a warm respect for the police or the kind of law enforcement that they've they've lived under somewhere else. So now you've got to get their confidence to even get to first base sometimes in in dealing with issues that they have that they've they've called the police in to help.
1: That is so true because, you know, they may be coming from a country where, you know— the police force isn't what it is here. Um, I'll probably leave it at that. Yeah. And they don't have a, a, a trust for the police. So that's why, you know, myself, uh, the officers go out there every day and they try to engage folks in a friendly way so that they, you know, they, you know we, I say a simple smile. Uh, you walk by somebody, say hi, um, you know, flash a smile. It, it means so much. That smile is worth a thousand words. And it starts to develop that, that level of trust that we want. Um, you know, I've, I was at the MBTA station yesterday morning, center station, Monday morning, uh, myself, Mayor Christensen we're out there at 530. We're handing out the, the Charlie Cots for the commuter rail. Um, we made sure to engage every single person and let them know, you know, we're here. I also think, you know, being out there face to face, face with folks makes a big difference. And, and when you do have a, a friendly persona, I think, it, I think it changes their perspective of, of the police in this area. So that, yeah. that's yeah.
0: the types of the uh, as a patrolman or even as a superior officer, w- the types of crimes that occurred back in those days has that much of has that involved? I, I see stories on TV about carjacking, which it, it seems to be quite common in big cities. Now I don't know whether that's something more n- in
1: this. We very rarely, very rarely have a carjacking. Um, when you look at how crimes have changed over the years, um, you know a lot of it has to do with technology. Um, you know, when you look at, you know, sometimes people will see larceny, our uh, stats would go up in larceny. This is all electronic. It's somebody in another country who has, you know, stolen money out of someone's bank account or or a scam on the elderly uh, where they've taken the money. These all come under larceny. Years ago when you looked at larceny, someone stole something from somebody, you know, in person um, or stole something from a store or, or things like that. So. Um, those, that's one of the biggest um, changes when you look at, uh, at the title of a crime. larceny. Most of our larcenies now are done online. I'd say 90% yeah. of them. Yeah. So, and there are a lot of those yeah. online.
0: And, and how about violent crimes from all than in terms of the time that you've been exposed to that statistic?
1: We, we have done uh, an, an incredible job uh, reducing violent crime. Uh, crime in general, minor crime um we've kept a check on that um but we're very concerned with violent crime you know rape robbery you know homicide um you know things like that um arson um our numbers are very low um and when you look at the you know the community that we're in you know we're 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 a big city um we've we've got um you know it's as i said before very diverse and when you look at other cities that are similar to us, and I'm not not to you know, uh, talk about any other cities or towns, uh, towns and cities that are similar to us, the demographics, we're lower as far as violent crime, and they're, they're a bit higher, so that's something we like to keep a check yeah, on.
0: Yeah. yeah, I recall, um, and I don't know quite how long ago, maybe it's like three years ago, uh, the former chief who retired, uh, Chief Mullis, was at a public meeting. I think it was with the city council. And when he got up and he touched on the subject of the situation, Marlon, with that, he, he mentioned, as I recall, that it had been several years since one of the patrolmen had fired a gun in, in, in the line of duty. Uh, absolutely. And when you think of that, that's an amazing statistic for when you have, whether it's 50,000, 55 or 60,000 people with the diversity and without any diversity. That's a... That's a Astounding! Uh, it it is, in,
1: in, in especially in light of the influx of guns now in this country. Well, there like are a lot of guns about out there, that too. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we haven't, um, you know, I think is a reflection on the training that we receive now. Um, the The importance of de escalation. Um, we 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 get we receive training now. We four times a year we're getting trained. Um, you know, now we also have the Pulse Commission, the Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission. Um, you know, that, that have a lot of, um, you know, policies. Uh, we're also still trained by the MPTC. But also as part of the MPTC uh, training curriculum, de-escalation is so important now. And and I can give you a good example, uh, Mayor, that you, this is about, I don't know, two months ago, we had a call at an address on Pleasant Street. Um, it was a, you know, involuntary commitment order which is, you know, never pretty for the person that has to be taken out for, for um, some mental health issues. Um, they're very important to us. We, we do everything we can beforehand. Uh, when we get there, we, we make sure that we, most of the time, when we can, we have a, a mental health clinician with us. Um, she's embedded within the police department from L.A. Community Health Services. She's full-time. <clears throat> we bring her with us every time ta- when we can. Um, she also does all the mental health follow-ups that we have, which has is, is worked out, um, you know, so well for us. Uh, but we got there. The gentleman um, um, not coming out, we don't go knocking down doors. You know, you know, 25 years ago, things could have gone a different way. <clears throat> Today we spent, it was a couple of months ago, we spent a lot of time in there. It was a very hot day. It was about 95, 96 degrees. We were up on the fourth floor. We had the fire department there, we had the police department there. No elevator. No elevator. Oh no, there was an elevator. I'm sorry, but no air conditioning in the hallways, and it was there was no circulation. So everybody up there was was soaking wet. Um, and I can tell you that we had the S.O.U. team there um, because at some point we can't leave when it's an involuntary commitment order. But we brought in a you know uh, a, a negotiator, Lieutenant Mike Powell, uh, the best at what he does. He established a connection with him. We are all in the hallway waiting, waiting, waiting. One hour talking, two hours, three hours, four just hours. And you're just knocking
0: on, trying to get him to open the door?
1: Talking on the phone with him, no. connecting with him through the door. Five hours, six hours. Cataldo the Ambulance, uh, they're, they're outstanding. They set up uh, uh, at the um, end of Holland Street, they set up a, a little base um, with water, a misting station, things like that for the officers. They had to keep coming out. Um, and this is all to give this individual the best possible care. Um, the de-escalation, we just kept at it. Uh, we have time. We have hope. And there's no, never any reason today to go into someone's space. So we got to the point where we were able to have him, you know, we did get a, a key for maintenance. We unlocked the door. We pushed it open a little. He was at the door. We, then we established contact with him face-to-face for two more hours without we said we're not going to come in, and we meant it, and, you know, Lieutenant Powell had reinforced that with him over and over and over. I'm still not. I could grab you right now. I don't want to do that. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, and they did develop that relationship, and that's what it's all about today, and eventually, you know, we, we did get him. And we, you know, got him, you know, the proper care at a hospital. And um, that all worked out well. And it, it, it is a credit to everybody's training, the police department, the fire department, Cataldo the ambulance. So everybody's on the same page with that. And, um, and I'm happy to see it. Yeah. I was there as well.
0: Oh, you were, yeah. yeah. The, tra- the, tra- the tragedies are uh, sometimes so shocking because you could have a domestic, co- domestic violence call or a simple thing like a warrant that you're going to have to uh, present, and what you don't know is behind the door is someone who's got whether mental issues or anger issues or whatever, and they have a gun. Like even this thing here, Yes. that person, you wouldn't know whether they had a gun or not.
1: And and that's the, that's the other side of that. Nobody wants to go into someone's apartment or into their residence or their house because you don't know what's on the other side of that door, yeah. and you don't even want to get into that situation. So uh, Rich Correale is the lieutenant of our SOU team. We have the best SOU team around. This special operations unit. Um, they are they train constantly for these types of situations. They're the unit that that we use when we go to effect a search warrant or an arrest warrant, you know, and we look at every case. We have multiple meetings about on these cases. You know, who was the person? What is their history? Do they have a license to carry? Are they a gang member? Did they ever have a gun in the past that we need to know of? So we have we have ratings, and we score them, you know, um, but we, we, we take every possible precaution. We take every step uh, to make it safe for everybody, um, and, you know, that's our approach to this. We don't go kicking doors in. Um, you know, Malden has its own SOU team. We could very easily go. We don't want it. We're going to call the state and just have them come in. But you know, and, and you know, uh, in deference to the state police, they've got a great SOU team. But to, to outside agencies, it's more of an away game for them. It, it, we live here. It's we're the home team, and we want to make sure that our residents, um, you know, are treated right and that in the, the and that we do the right thing. So. For that reason, we've kept it here. We, we, we train our own. Um, Everett has their own. Revere has their own. And we kind of train together. Um, so we do that. You know, we, we've done a lot of arrest warrants and search warrants. Um, and we do, we take every precaution. And it's particularly important that we, we look out for the safety of the person that we're arresting or, or trying to take into custody for whatever reason. Um, and, of course, officer safety. But... Um, we, we do a very good job at that, absolutely.
0: Even in now uh, 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 serious crimes, uh, as you just alluded to, uh, murder obviously is the ultimate punishment people uh, uh, f- face, but there's been very few of those in Malden, and uh, the ones that have occurred recently, uh, there was an armed robbery, uh, uh, I can think of as one incident, but that... Uh, um, I think all of them even been solved or resolved. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, you know,
1: murder is one of the highest solved crimes. Uh, I think it is the highest solved uh, uh, crime. But yeah, we have a very low, very right. low murder right. rate. Yeah.
0: In fact, they yeah. had a cold case there, one that I recall from a from a balcony on Henry Street. Yes. There, it was, it was someone's long gone out of Malden. Yeah, absolutely. Long, maybe lost, left the country, I
1: think. Yeah, uh, le- left, left, uh, left the state, okay. uh, was down south. Oh, he was? Um, oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, we flew out. Took him into custody with uh, no issues. Brought him back. Um, he's he's now awaiting trial, and uh, he, he'll be held in custody until that trial.
0: Yeah. And that was a case that went back a long, a long. Oh my time God!
1: Ago. I, I want to say that that case was 1993. Um, so and it was it was right before I got on the job uh, on Henry Street. So um, I was there at the Middlesex DA's office when Chief Mollis had presented that that case, that cold yep. case, and um, you know we new evidence had you know, presented itself, not not on its own. You know, we were obviously looking into this, um, but we did develop new information that turned the tide in that case. We were able to get uh, probable cause to get that person in custody. So, yeah.
0: In fact, I, uh, I don't really think that I can call any more outstanding cases of recent vintage that, that uh, haven't been con-
1: No, con- no. Uh, you know, recently, um, last year, we had one on Fairmont Street. Right um it was related to a drug issue um the the people knew each other Mm -hmm. um he was arrested uh leaving the scene um Mm -hmm. eyewitnesses spotted it and uh, eventually he was taken into custody shortly thereafter so um yeah and um recently we did have not a murder but we recently had a shooting at the speedway gas station on the corner of route 60 at broadway um, an individual shot four times.
0: She was like, go there!" I, I didn't. Yeah, that well, one. <laughs> you know, this was at
1: about <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, no Malden residents involved. Um, you know, these were residents from Everett, uh, the suspects and the victim, um, and uh, two of the, the suspects had recently moved to Burlington. So, um, in outstanding effort by the patrol division, uh, and in coordination with our, our criminal investigation division, uh, we quickly put a case together. We had some um, assistance through through, uh, video from Speedway. Um, And again, we went and used our SOU team, was utilized in Everett to take one of them into custody, the shooter into custody. Um, And Everett was using their SOU team on an Everett case somewhere else at the same day. So we went in and took care of that. And that same time, the, the driver of that vehicle was taken into custody in Burlington um, by Burlington, I think they use Nemlec in Burlington for their SOU uh, procedures. So, um, outstanding work. Um, video has been so helpful to us over the years. So we were able to get. Uh, we went to the grand jury. We presented the evidence. Um, we were able to get uh, search warrants, arrest warrants, and even the search warrant uh, proved fruitful for us. We were able to get clothing that was involved in the uh, on that night or you know, that morning in the shooting.
0: Yeah, I. But uh, um, again. <laughs> The police business, I used to say to people, and I'm far from knowledge about the day to day activity, but that the, the 98% of what you do on an average day is kind of routine. The 2% is the important things that happen that if, could have the, the direct effect on you or somebody else or, or a lot of other ramifications. And, and the difficulty is, as I said, the, the normal routine of just uh, presenting a warrant to someone or, as it happened, a domestic violence case, and you, you walk in anticipating it's just going to be anger or uh, vocal kinds of problems, and you walk in, and someone else takes out a gun, and you're standing there. It's 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 a, it's a scary thing that you have to take home at the end of that shift.
1: Absolutely, you know, yeah. and they, they say on any given day, um, you know, anything can happen in any city or town, large, small, medium sized, anything can right. happen, and that's something that the officers always, you know, have in the back of their mind. Um, you know, they don't know who they're stopping in a car. They see a motor vehicle infraction. You you know, those are one of the most dangerous things a police officer can do as a car stop. You don't, that that person may have just murdered somebody and thinks he's getting stopped for that, and the police officer is unsuspecting and doesn't know that, and that's happened uh, many times. Well, you get
0: someone who's, who just just does something reckless with no really major issues other than he's been stopped and his reaction is to take the gun that he has in the car.
1: Absolutely, uh, you uh, know, and resorts to that that level of violence. And, you know, when it's difficult for a police officer who's walking up on a car, um, you know, they. It, it's very dangerous. So, you know, the officers keep all of these things in mind, and they, 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 you know, and even you know, there's no routine call, there's no routine car stop, because I've heard over the years people say, oh, well, there's a routine car stop, and I, and first thing in my mind, I always say, there's no such thing as a routine car stop. Um, you know, there never was, and there never will be. So,
0: do you find even what would normally be kind of routine situations like. Going through red lights or not a stop signs—that's more frequently now than it used to be. That people have less respect for those kinds of rules.
1: Yeah, you know, you can see that. You know, um, you know, there are a lot of motor vehicle infractions. We do our best, uh, you know, to to kind of you know enforce that. Um, you know, if we were able to make every stop on every red light or every you know. Uh, you know, improper left-hand turn or passing on the right. We wouldn't have enough officers uh, to do that, but we, we do do our best uh, when we do see it uh, to take enforcement action. And in light of you know, you know, today we we, we usually have a good conversation with the with the operators. Um, you know, it can be a you know a warning, a verbal warning, uh, a written warning. You know, in extreme cases, we would go to the level of an, you know uh, you know a monetary infraction uh, citation. Um, But for the most part, most of our enforcement is educational, and we try to say, look, you can't do that, and you can't do this. Um, And to be honest, sometimes someone may may come from a country where what they did was legal, um, but it may be illegal here, and sometimes there's a misunderstanding.
0: Of course, that's another example where language barriers can become a problem, and how do you explain y- something y- to someone who doesn't y- really. Understand? You know,
1: and that's you know another great part of having a diverse uh, police force, because that's happened. Um, you know, you, you pull somebody over, and they'll they'll you know use you know hand signals. You know, you know I don't understand you, and of course, you know he or she may not understand that person. So they're able to call another car and say, hey, you know, you know, you know, Ed, can you come over here? Um, and see if you can, you know, talk with this person. You know, here's what happened, and that's common. And thank God uh, we do have that workforce that can handle that. Because I know there are a lot of cities and towns in Massachusetts, uh, some very close by to us, that don't have that that diversity. Um, and people that are living in those cities and towns or driving through those cities and towns may need that that type of uh, assistance, language barrier assistance. So we have it. Yeah. The um,
0: th- 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 the the city now, um, among other things, th- what are the things that some? Do you have a program where you go into the schools at, with the, and and talk about some of the law enforcement requirements, or maybe just the overview so, of what the police department is all yeah, about? Yeah,
1: we have. Um, we're in constant communication with the schools. I was just uh, recently on the phone with the principal at the Linden Steam Academy, Ray Garcia. Um, you know, today, you know, in the context of school shootings. Um, you know, our antennas are up. Um, what we, we try to do here in Malden is the sector cars, you know, try to get into every school when school's back, which will be back this Wednesday. Um, when school's back, they they do everything they can to walk into the schools during, say, lunch periods, walk into the cafeterias. But each officer at the same time, although they're, they're meeting with the kids and the faculty and the staff, they walk around the school so that every officer has a good idea of what that floor plan is in that school. God forbid something ever happened. God forbid. Um, in addition to that, um, Lieutenant Correale, um does the, the Atlas training, and we do this constantly with the schools. Um, in fact, before all the schools go back, he'll be doing a, a school safety security survey, you know, looking, you know, in, say two rooms are connected to make sure that that door that's in between the locks work um, and things like that. So he's he'll be doing that. Um, you know he's doing it now, um, but also right before school starts, we already have four in-per- in-person Alice training that's coming up. It takes about an hour. Um, I think on the thirtieth, we're doing at Jenkins Auditorium. We have um, district-wide training. Uh, he'll do that up on, up on the stage, uh, so that he have every member. Of, you know, new teachers. You know, and you know, but all the teachers will be there for this Alice training, and it's so important now. You know, ALICE is an acronym, but it's basically it's run, hide, or fight training. And those are your three options. And in that order, run, hide, or fight mm-hmm. when it comes to something like that. So um, we're gonna actually step that up even more this year. COVID over the past two years has hampered those in-person efforts. So we've tried to do more of it with, you know, through Zoom and Teams meetings and things like that. But now now we have the, the opportunity back to face-to-face, which is so important. Um, and recently we were at the early learning center. That school is unique. Uh, with the student population so we've taken other measures there Uh, uh, not only the school population being unique uh, they're the best those kids there Um, but the building itself is more of a challenge because of its shape it's more of a rectangle you know and just rooms off on the sides and you know their option is to kind of go out a window if things are happening or something like that but they have challenges with with children that may have some mobility issues and things like that so we're, we're, we're developing our approach to that it's a special plan just for them so um, he's I think he's, he's actually going there I think on the 25th if I'm not mistaken
0: yeah. uh, tomorrow th- some of those other states that have had mass m- m- killings which is a tragedy mm-hmm. b- beyond imagination but th- even though you can point fingers at people sometimes the situation is such that it's a little hard to make a determination as far as who Should do what at that right moment, in other words, who's in charge? And I mean, it's It's easier to second guess people (laughs) after the fact,
1: but uh, yeah, I hate to Monday morning quarterback things like that when you look at Uvalde, um, you know, and then I see the videos, and and it's hard for me to watch the videos, yeah. Um, and and I've talked to a lot of police officers and police chiefs, and we've all had that same, you know, conversation like, my god, uh, how how did this go that wrong? Um, I know it's still under investigation, I don't know that much about it. I'm not part of those meetings, but I'm hoping to, you know, to, to, to read the reports when they're published. I know it's going to be a while, but, um, you know, I, I try to rein, you know, reinforce and, and reassure teachers here and, and the superintendent um, um, that, you know, we train constantly for these things. I don't know how prepared they were out in Yavaldi. I don't know what type of training they received. Well,
0: there were sheriffs not. Pol- there uh, was there
1: were many many many. They, yeah, more but they waited for there. people to
0: come from other sources. Yes, and, um, yeah. well, know, they did the
1: same thing in Connecticut, I think. Absolutely, yeah. you know, and uh, that has changed all the ALIS training. Yeah. So today, um, there is no waiting. Um, early on, say even 10 years ago with our training, you, you had to wait, you had to set up a diamond, what they call it, the diamond. You had somebody in front with a long rifle, you had two flank officers and a rear guard, and then you would go in, find that subject, you know, and, and take whatever actions you had to take. Um, today, that's totally different. First officer on scene starts communicating on that radio, get in there ASAP, whatever it takes. Um, you know, Our officers all have the ability to get into any school at any time. Uh, any door, um, you know, electronically or mechanically. So that's not every every officer that's working can do that. Um, in addition to that, every shift that's working on day shift has SOU officers already working. They're, they're specially trained in that. Um, patrol officers are, but these officers receive extensive training in it. So they're there, and you, you know how dense Malden is, you know, basically it's five square miles. That we would have offices at any school within, if you know, a, a minute, if not seconds, we're always in the area of the schools. We always have detail offices near the schools when this is going on, and everybody would respond immediately. God forbid if we ever had anything like that. So, um, you know, we're, we're um, I, 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 we we constantly prepare and, and train for that. Mm-hmm. It's important yeah. to us. Yeah.
0: Uh, whether it was locally or statewide, I, I didn't really get any sense there was a strong outcry or a vocal uh, support, at much at all for defunding the police, although they didn't make any sense to do it anyway. Well, but I mean, I, I didn't see here at a at state level that that was much of an issue. Uh,
1: yeah, you know, you looked at the national picture and you see, you know, the defund the police and, and, and things like that, which, you know, and there was also at that same time a push to remove school resource officers, take, get rid of all school resource officers. And you know, many people that, that would say get, get rid of a school resource officer have no idea what a school resource officer does. That officer is not out there to enforce laws. That officer is there to make bonds, uh, friendships with the students. Um, we, we know that these students, are, they're our future. We try to make that that connection. That's why not only school resource officers we have officers, at least in Malden, going into the schools and becoming friends with the kids. This is—it's all about that having that connection, where one of the students trusts the officer enough that if he hears something, he might let him know, "Hey, hey I heard this," and we would—we take action on that every time. So when I—when I—you know—over that—that—you know—when that defund the police—you know—you know—that you know, was coming out and that was becoming very popular. Um, you know, I—you know—I said it's—it's it's more to me a, a slogan and. Slogans don't save lives, police do, and and I, I've always looked at it that way, um, you know. And it, it it's difficult, and I know there was a there was a lot of politics involved in this. Um, sure was, um, you know. And I you know that's it, it, you were in that political atmosphere, and I understand how these things can happen, um, but I I do know, and I'm cognizant, and I see it every day of all the the. Um, outstanding work <clears throat> that police officers do every day, day in and day out, the nice things that, that you know, bringing somebody's groceries in, you see an elderly person. I've seen the officers stop. No, Nobody's stopping there to do a photo op. They're just doing it. It's day in and day out. And then, of course, police officers are human. They're going to make mistakes, and then we see that on the national news every day, and it happens. Um, and and uh, that's, that's an unfortunate thing, but we always do our best. Um, to, to do the right thing, and I think, at least in Malden, I think we've, we've been transparent. You've, if you go onto the Malden Police website, <clears throat> you're going to see a lot of our rules and regulations, our policies and procedures that we have out there uh, for people to read. Um, our use of force policy, which became very popular within the past two years, um, you know, the, 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 it, the question was, do you have the eight can't wait? You know, that was a campaign. And we've had that in ours, uh, you know, no no chokeholds and things like that. Um, Those are important to us. And and we know that, you know, having that in place, uh, that alone, um, you know, reassured the community that we've never done that. And um, I can tell you that we haven't had a use of force complaint in over 15 years. Uh, and, And prior to that, it was two years before that. That's 17 years. And the person who filed it withdrew it. After that, so we're heading to twenty years in the city of Malden without a use of force complaint, and I, I think, I, I mean that that stat alone to me is—that's
0: um, an amazing uh, record, astounding. Uh, like you say, every, every group of people within that group, there's personalities that always fit the profile of what you expect y- y- to do. Yeah. A-
1: absolutely, and I, and I, you know, and I credit that to training because training, training is everything in law enforcement. In Massachusetts, in particular, has the best training, in my opinion, uh, in the country. Um, I've heard that from many people, and I've heard that from people in other states, offices in other states. We, we train, train, and train um, because you get stale if you don't have that constant reinforcement. Um, so I think that, that plays a big big part in that. You know, we don't have to resort to force right away. We, we do everything we can but that. Um, you know, we've, we've, over the years, now we have tasers. Um, you know, a taser and a baton on the use of force continuum are on the same plane. Nobody wants to see a police officer, including a police officer, throwing a baton around because it's ugly. And, and that's the nature of policing, and nobody wants well, to no, do that. No, they, they get around that in Alabama. They use dogs. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, of course, and that's horrible. Uh, but, you know, today we have, you know, you know, Mace. Um, you know, in a taser.
0: How close do you have to be with mace to make it effective it's going to be effective? Um, mean, can,
1: you, can we be this far apart? Yeah, t- right here will be very effective. You, with, you know, within three feet of each other, yeah. you know, you've got to try to, you know, spray the, you know, the facial area. Um, you know, and it's usually just one blast is good enough. Um, you know, and mace, you know, kind of incapacitates that person, at least that, not physically. Uh, you know, it might, you know, they're, they're, their eyes are burning and things like that. The difference between mace and a taser uh, the Taser is, you know, you know, their muscles become incapacitated, right. and they have no use, uh, and they, you know, will quite often just go. Well, to is that around. further
0: effective than that close, like a? Yeah,
1: so you can be further uh, with with a Taser than you can with mace, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and there are different cartridges that are in Tasers. You know, one is a short range, one is a long range, uh, but typically would never be more than 15 feet uh, with a Taser. And, but it still will be effective that far apart. Yeah. Yes, yes, provided both prongs go in you would be yeah. okay. Yeah. And, and it's, it is the most humane way. If you have someone, maybe not even through any fault of their own, that they've lost control, um, you know, and they're going to hurt themselves, that's typically when yeah. when we would, you know, deploy that that taser option.
0: There was a case on television I saw on the news last night. That was what must have occurred the day before that. It shows a video inside a super-est super store. Uh, it turns out the kid was eight years old with a hammer, broke the front door, broke the glass at the front door. I, I forget what he was stealing from the from the store, and it sh- and it showed him actually starting out, exiting the store, and apparently there was a policeman that showed up, and the reason the policeman showed up is because an employee had come to work early, and was coming to work and saw the, the, the break at the front, and he called the police, and so. They caught the person. uh, It was a child, but I've talked uh, and. and, uh. Uh, I'm thinking to myself. Oh, uh, thinking so how does it? First of all, it's four o'clock in the morning. Secondly, how does an eight-year-old kid think about th- with a hammer breaking? the, He must have an interesting
1: history. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty incredible. And that goes back to what I was saying: no, no calls routine. So if I saw an eight-year-old who uh, broke, you know, smashed a window out with a hammer, was in a convenience yeah. store, um, you know, you don't see that too often. Um, I, that would have been one for the books, there. The, here.
0: Like I said, the funny part of it, in the video inside the store it shows him heading to the front door to exit and. He spotted the policeman, so he turned around. I don't. They must have obviously oh, get in the, and, and caught him in the store. But he's at eight years old at four o'clock in the morning. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe he was looking for some ice
1: cream or a no, candy bar. They, or they,
0: <laughs> I couldn't figure out what he was taking, but it was something behind the counter. But it wasn't even like it wasn't even lottery tickets or the oh cash register. Oh my! I, I didn't see that story, so that, that, that's funny. I'm gonna have to check that out. Well. Uh, that'll probably be one of those um stories you'll see a, a year from now on one of those t v programs about people doing weird things <laughs> <laughs> america's funniest videos yeah maybe I, yeah <laughs> of course it was a serious subject so i don't know how, f- how oh, <laughs> funny God. it is yeah, yeah. My yeah. God. Uh, yeah. you have um now you know the you know the the um there's a th- kind of a three faceted facet sit you police uh, are the arresting people, and then you have the uh, uh, district attorney, let's say, or the, or the legal department go to the court process, and then you have the final step when you have the judges or the jurors making the decision. And um, the thing is, I one thing I have a hard time understanding is there is a law in, on, on the books, and has been, that, um, and I, I'm a little confused because I got a, a copy of the law from, from uh, one of our uh, state representatives, and it was a... Uh, the Bartley-Fox law that was enacted yeah, years ago.
1: Bartley-Fox proviso.
0: Yeah, yes. which said that if you were carrying an unlicensed a gun, that you're automatically getting a jail sentence. Two-year minimum mandatory. Well, and that's the point. Uh, two years, because I thought it was a year, and the when when they gave me the law, they said, no, it's two years. And I'm saying, why isn't that enforced?
1: So, you know, I, I, I like with, with, with any law that's on the books, there are always exceptions, and you know there's always... Some way around, and, of course, attorneys are going to find any loophole right. uh, that they can find, of course, for the client, and that's their job. I, mean, yeah. I, you know, I don't begrudge them for that. They, they hired that lawyer, and he's going to do his best to, to represent that person. Um, I do think judges still have some discretion, even though there's the Botley-Fox Proviso in place. Um, there, uh, there are always different circumstances with every case. Um, so th- there was no bright-line rule. That's what it said. You know, anybody that's found in possession of a handgun is going to do two-year minimum mandatory. Um, it's it's almost, to be honest, unrealistic at this point because there are so many guns out there now. Um, we've we've recovered a lot of firearms, much more so than when I first got on the job. Um, it, you know, we, we recover them, um, but it's the, the courts and uh, you know we have a great court system here in Massachusetts, and you know they're they're doing the best they can, particularly in light of COVID. Um, you know, we were doing, you know, a lot of it in the police station to help the courts out, right, in the community room. Um, you know, bail hearings and things like that, you know, because of COVID. Um, you know, COVID has, has, has done a job on the courts. They are so backed up now, their cases. They're, they're, they're working overtime to, to try and process these cases. And then when you also look at the, the, uh, the prison system, they're, they're running out of room. So they're looking for alternative sentencing. Um, and that plays in part of that. Uh, they just can't get every single person to go, you're doing two years, you had a handgun. Um, you know, sometimes there, there will be cases where that person uh, who had the handgun and goes, to, goes to trial and for whatever reason, not guilty. Uh, that person may have had it illegally, but may say, I was carrying that because two weeks ago, I, you know, I got beat up so bad, I was in fear, and, and my father had a gun in the house, and I had it with me for self-protection because I was afraid I was going to get beat up again, and th- and that's why I say there are so many different circumstances that the judges in the court had to start taking these things in, into consideration. It just couldn't be that bright-line rule that, that this you know this happened and now you're going away every time. It was it just wasn't realistic. But I do know that that went on the books quite a while ago. It like, did, and and then 1998 but, I think or 97, 98.
0: Um, in fact, I think Fox on the newspaper, wasn't he? That's where he came from. Vardley was the president of, the, uh, House of Re- he was the House of Representatives. I think you're right. Yeah. Yes, but, yes, but, you would know, Mayor. But but now even in, in, in Massachusetts, you have uh, any number of instances that you see on the news or read in the newspaper about kids taking guns to school. They're 15 years old, they're 16 years old, they're and And the, the, then they have these phantom guns you can make on your, like a, this, off, a, off a computer it, or whatever. A, absolutely. Uh, phantom guns?
1: you know there's no serial number right. there's no model number there's no nothing right. but these guns are functional right um, you know and you know that they, they, they're able now people are able now to get things mailed to their house it doesn't look like a gun uh, they get them in different parts they put the guns together yeah um, you know that and when we look at juveniles you know and, and carrying guns and things like that it's it's because they're so prolific now they're, they're everywhere that students and kids are bound to get possession of them um, you know, and the juvenile court system is dealing with it that way. And there's another area where, you know, you're looking at Bartley Fox. That's not applying to juveniles that have a gun. And, you know, when you're looking at not—we don't have any gang problems in Malden, but in cities and towns that do have a gang problem, that's another issue that these cities and towns have to deal with. Gangs are, uh, are smart. They adjust. Now they, they make sure if something's happening and you're an adult and you've got a gun and you're a gang member and the police are showing up, they'll put them right on the juvenile. Yeah, he's got the gun. Nothing, you know, it's not going to be the same for the juvenile as is the adult. And now they know to put that plant that that now the now the fourteen-year-olds standing there with a gun, you know, in his pocket. Uh-huh. And of course, then if the gun gets found, but that juvenile is going to be treated totally different than an adult. So they they learn, you know, they they do these things. So they you know they modify their behavior.
0: Yeah, and as a matter of fact, of the of the guns, I read an article recently where, um, and it's been actually two out of one of. Guns are coming in through Florida, and more for, for some particular reason. The guns are coming from California to Massachusetts, so it's certainly a big business in terms. Of if you, even if you didn't use them, just to sell them, and it, it, it is a, there's a market out there. You mentioned uh, groups of gang members, uh, people that have uh, illicit activities that use it for their own protection, but. A lot of guns coming in now are um, coming in from what appears to be a thriving business from out of state.
1: you know you know um, you you've got that ninety five corridor, you know especially coming from Florida um, and coming from the west um, you know, and they're gonna take these guns and they're gonna get them to heavily populated areas, you know um, you know of course you know, New York is in that route, uh, Massachusetts um, and I not sure what the population of Massachusetts is—a seven and a half million in that, that area—but um, but we've got some dense areas, and that's an area where you get those guns to that area. They can be distributed. A lot of guns can be distributed very quickly to a lot of people. So I think that's another reason why they they are coming up here to the northeast. Uh,
0: one of the things is uh, when when the uh, you talk about the fire department and the police department, m- more often than not, if you ask someone, the more the more uh, popular group of people are the fire department rather than the police department. And if you try to explain to people, well, the, when the fire department comes to your front door, there they help you. When the police show up, it's there because they got a problem in the house. So, <laughs> so you know. So, so <laughs> all the things you're talking about doing doesn't always mitigate true, the true. True. <laughs> and and I've said,
1: said that, and I've had that conversation with police officers and firefighters. You know, and uh, the firefighters are great. You know, they're, they're top shelf. Uh, they're, they're well, that's the what best. they say about the police. So. Oh, great! but you know, but a, lot you know what? Are,
0: a lot of them are frustrated police. Yeah. In that <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs>
1: you know, the the firefighters are there. You know, they put fires out, they save lives. Um, we do too, but at the same token, we also arrest people. So in a lot of times we come upon people on the worst day of their life and, and hear the police now, you know, in, you know, in one capacity or another, yeah. either to enforce the law or to help them. And, and I like to keep it, you know, you know in the category of helping. Um, and even people that we arrest now, with so many resources for for folks that we end up arresting, and we do our absolute best to to maybe hopefully turn their life around. They they may need these resources, and we have them now, and we we always try to do that. So yeah. some of the office, you know, people that we arrest now become friends, best friends with them. So that happens a lot now.
0: Uh, do you find uh, that uh, sometimes when something happens that's of, of a serious nature and something needs really be looked at seriously? Um, that you get outside help from from the from civilians, regardless of the cultural background or diversity, that they they recognize that they need to maybe make available information that makes it easy for you to f- yes. fall
1: through in your y- work. Y- yes, and you as you know, uh, you know Mayor Christensen and his administration have done. Uh, uh, they've leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of cities and towns as far as making sure we've got. A lot of information in a lot of different languages now mm-hmm. here in malden um we try to do the same thing at the police station um you know so like and i know i told you before we have the language translation option that we utilize um so w- you know we, we 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 understand that we're in a, a diverse you know community and we we take every you know precaution uh, every step and every measure mm-hmm. that we can take um you know to make sure that we can communicate because mm-hmm. Communication—it's all about communication, yeah. and that um, you know is so important to us.
0: So. The, 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 some, some, um, whether it's Baltimore or uh, Chicago, some of the cities in California—they've um, had a significant uptick in, in ter- violent crimes, and um, I don't see that happening in Boston. Although they're they're a mirror of Chicago, except maybe Chicago may two and a half times bigger, but they have—I don't know—seven hundred. I think a more more uh, homicides a year, and yeah. it's and the it's been increasing. Where I think Boston hovers around a hundred. Yeah,
1: you know what? And I think a lot of that falls back on you know the 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 judicial system in those areas. Um, that's been talked about a lot on on. Uh, well, there are no the no bail business. There are no cash no, no bills, bail. No yeah. bail. Um, you know, and, and, the, and
0: no. Inconst- you know, no. Exactly. Whole load,
1: yeah. yeah. The recidivism rate. Um, yeah. you, you arrest somebody, and they go to court, and I'm not saying this is here in Massachusetts because it's not like that yeah. here, um, but say, look in Chicago, um, they, get, they get arrested, and this is a person who may have had a gun. They get arrested, and they're not being held, and they're right back out into, you know, back into society. Yeah. That's not the greatest formula to try to keep people safe. Yeah. Um, that that um, that really doesn't happen around here. We The, the, the police, uh, the court system, they work together um, to, to minimize uh, yeah. that effect, yeah. and that's what yeah. I think keeps our crime rate down.
0: Yeah. Some some crimes are very organized in some of the bigger cities, which is like boosting
1: or shoplifting. Do you have much of that in Malden? No. No. Now and then you might see, uh, well, I can give you an example. Um, uh, they, they, I think they call them, um, you know, Romanian gypsies um, have come in here now and then. About a month ago they were here, and they ended up, you know, interacting with a lady at Stop and Shop out in the parking lot. They noticed that she had a gold... Chain on that looked very expensive, so what they do is they they start they they it's a confidence game. They start they all like they're you know friends with her and how are you and you know they may talk about religion uh, or something that they they talk long enough to see what this person's interested in, and then they 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 end up one way or the other getting that gold you know either by you know trick they slide them off their wrist you know, if they got a bracelet and, and by the time they're done talking with them. Most of the time it's a, an elderly person that doesn't even know that their jewelry yeah. is now gone. That happens very rarely here in Malden, um, but it did happen about a month ago. They never stay in the same area. They travel. Yeah, um, You know, that's what they do, and that's how they most of the time don't get caught because they're gone. Uh, they move around. They never stay in the same area for more, more than a day because they will get caught at that point. Someone's going to give you a license plate or, or a good description, or you're going to get a good video, and they'll get caught. But um, no, we don't really see that.
0: So, so you don't get a lot of uh, shoplifters that, that are really making a living from them rather than the... Uh,
1: no, uh, no. Um, you know, when, the, the, when the, the price of meat was going through the roof, we did have an issue with that at Stop and Shop here. Oh. Uh, folks would go in strictly to get meat. They didn't care what kind it was. They usually look for the priciest. Um, and after investigation, we, we believe that they would go into Boston and sell this meat to restaurants, um, certain restaurants. So, uh, in fact, I, I know that was happening. So, um, we, we put extra eyes on that and that, that practice has, um, you know, since then decreased. So we've been keeping an eye on it. Well,
0: um. Anything else you might want to add? You know, uh, you've got a long career ahead of you, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll be as successful in the future as it has been in the past. And the key thing, some of the things that you talked about today, I just don't think people are aware how complicated and how difficult in a lot of ways policing is as opposed to the old days. If you walk the route and... uh, you get to know the first names of the people that lived in the houses. Not that true anymore. It's, just, it's a whole different sort you know, of. Uh, it
1: is totally changed. Yeah. If you if you put an officer who got on the job say in 1950, mm-hmm. and he started today, he he would he or she would be lost. Um, you know, of he course, you
0: transferred to the fire department. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on, on that note, thank you, chief, for coming, and I and I think. Uh, with the show it's, it's going to let let people know there's a lot more policing than it used to be and if someone has a problem what would be a phone number they could call at the station maybe they pass on information that might be yeah, a, a, a absolutely. value
1: so you, any, at any time you know 24 hours a day 781 397 7171 and you can wait for the voice prompts and you can you'll hear every department in the station will pop up but you can leave a message with the detectives if you have any information for uh, anything that you see that may be suspicious or that you, if you do see a crime, please call 911. Uh, but if you have information that you think would be useful to the police that might increase public safety, please call at 781-397-7171 and wait for the voice prompts and you can leave a, a voicemail with the detectives.
0: Thank you very much.